Hi everybody, I'm Dan Duva, radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Golden Knights. The Stanley Cup playoffs continue, and we have it all on SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel in downtown Las Vegas. In review, how did the Knights sweep the Kings in round one? And a preview, what lies ahead with the Sharks in round two? We have the breakdown, Marc-Andre Fleury's play, which skaters meant the most to Vegas in the first round, and how might the upcoming series be different than the first? A look at other postseason series, we've got the quiz on coaching vacancies, Razor Fold on Drew Doughty, playoff hockey takes center stage on the Third Street stage, a time for a stroll up Fremont Street to the D. It's hashtag SLGND, playoff edition. The Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. (laughs) And now, here's Dave. All right, Dan Duva, thanks very much. (laughs) Wonderful to have you with us here from the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Dave Gosher along with Shane Knighty, Gary Lawless, and Dan Duva. As the Golden Knights get set for round number two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Coming up a little bit later on this week, they'll take on the San Jose Sharks. Both teams coming off sweeps of their opening round and uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs continuing. There's been some great series so far, but in the first round of the Pacific Division anyways, they were short series. The Golden Knights a sweep and San Jose with a sweep over the Anaheim Ducks. But uh, Sheriff, I guess we'll start with you. We look back and it's, you know, it's funny. So as we sit here right now, it's been almost a week. The Golden Knights have been sitting around waiting. They knocked off the Kings last Tuesday, wrapping up the sweep in L.A., um, from a player standpoint, what's this like? I know you've kind of been through this before. You have to wait a period of time and a significant period of time between between rounds of the playoffs. Well, you just want to play. Uh, it's good to get maybe those three days, but after that, you're, you get a little anxious. You just want to get back out on the ice. So, uh, But I think, you know, Gerard Gallant, and both, both teams are in the same situation, and that's important here. Sometimes you get a team coming off, you know, a five- or six-game series win. They're a little more in that game mode, whereas... The Golden Knights, that first period back, both these teams are really going to try to get back up to game speed. But I think the players have managed it now. It's a different situation. They've been able to man. They had a couple days off of nothing. They're back, and then it's simulating on ice game situation. The coaching staff knows what they're doing on both sides, both teams. They're going to prepare the guys the best they can. The good thing is everybody, if you had minor bumps, bruises, whatever, you get a chance to really recover, to rest, to come out ready to go when game one hits. The big thing now is just get to the start line healthy. And it was fascinating to watch practice today. Kelly McCrimmon, Bill Foley, and George McPhee watching practice. And anytime two players kind of at full speed went near one another, you could hear one of them yell, look out! They don't want a uh, Sean Couturier, Radko Gudis oh, situation yeah. uh, to unfold where uh, a guy gets nicked as a result of, of practice. The other part of it is you got to practice fast because you want to play fast. So uh, they, today was very up-tempo. Uh, they had semi-compete drills. And it wasn't physical, but they, uh, that sort of uh, is a situation that Gerard Gallant, I'm sure he wants his guys moving. And he wants them thinking fast, but he does not want, you, you know, you just you can't have an injury now as a result of practice. Well, and it's, um, you know, certainly if, if you're a team that, look, there's some other series that as we speak are still going on. Teams battling through six games, could be seven games. 
I've got to believe, Shane, if you're a coach at this time of the year, though, as much as you know, you want to try and get these series over as quick as you can and the premium on rest and recovery, everyone's banged up at this time of year, and they've been able to, to take this time and the time allotted to them to be able to do some of that. Well, you got to utilize it the right way, and I think Gary's exactly right there. You can't go out in the battle drills. The old, the old time thinking was you go out and you battle in the corners, the defensive zone, and, and you, you smack each other around. And, but now you pull off that and mention speed. It's all about tempo, especially this series going forward. You want to make sure guys are up to pace. And when it gets into the battle drills, you can't simulate game action. When you're going to go in and those battles along the wall, we certainly saw it against LA, how physical that series was. You're never going to be able to you know, duplicate that in practice. So right now you worry about the pace of your game. And that's not just the Skating, the uh, the execution, the passes, the breakouts, the way you want to attack, because that's what this series is really going to be about against San Jose is speed off execution in all three zones. Just a quick look back, Dan. It's funny you look at the first series against LA. It was over quick, right? Eight days or whatever it was, four games. LA scores three goals in the four games. I, you know, I don't. There was a lot of people I think going into it that didn't you know pick Vegas I think they still had a lot of doubters out there from a national perspective and here they are again still proving people wrong with with a four-game sweep yeah you know the Sharks only gave up four goals to the Ducks in four games Golden Knights right. gave up three goals to the Kings in four games just a guess but I think that there's going to be more offense <laughs> by the opponent for both of these clubs in the next round and probably just through the first four games and I don't think either side is going to manage a sweep here in round two but uh, I think it, and sure if that's what I'm most interested in having seen the same team four games in a row as the Knights saw the Kings and you never see the same team three times in a row rarely do you see a team twice in a row and how you might get into a certain type of play given the opponent the Sharks are very different from the Kings the Knights are very different from the Ducks so to me I'm interested in seeing how each side makes that adjustment to a different kind of opponent in the next round. Well, and you just talked about I think we yeah. saw it. When I think of San Jose, it's the same, think of Vegas. They were an offensive team all year, one of the top-scoring teams in the NHL. But they proved they can play a different style. If you want to play a tight game, fine, we'll do it. And that's what San Jose, outside the 8-1 the win. But these are teams, I think, that both speed is a huge factor. They play a similar style. They play up-tempo. But they both can lock it down if they need, and they both... Uh, we, we certainly saw that between L.A. and Vegas with Quick and Flurry. We'll see the same things. Martin Jones is one of those goalies that can steal you a game. I got a question for you, Sheriff. I heard from several players that the, the scoring depth for the Sharks better than it was yeah. for the Kings, okay? Yes. And I wonder how that affects the Golden Knights in that we didn't see a lot of second or third chance opportunities for the Kings offense. So when you've got more scoring depth, how do those two things reconcile? Oh, that's, well, you look at the depth they have. The Sharks have some more depth, but I, I don't think you want to change your game too much. It's just that's where we've talked about it all year long. And let's go back to the first week when Vegas was winning. The first thing we'd said, they skate hard and balance. There's not a drop-off on the lines. They play the same way. They defend in five-man units. You're not, you don't have any huge names at the beginning of the year. We've developed some since then, but this was a team that really had success off balance off playing as a unit, a five-man unit when they're out defending, uh, attacking, everywhere. And they're going to need that because San Jose, they've got, they've got some real good depth down the middle. Like a guy like Chris Tierney is not a big name, but there's a lot of speed on that line. How often have we heard a head coach 
say that he felt bad that he didn't use his fourth line more often. And that's what Gerard Gallant said after game three about his fourth line, Belmar, Nosek, and Carrier. Now, of course, Belmar and Nosek are on the penalty kill, so those guys are used in that role. But he didn't use, Gerard Gallant did not get to use his fourth line as much as he would have liked to, and he felt bad about it. Yeah, how often yeah. do you hear that? Yeah, and, he, and, you know, that line has his, you know, he's talked about it, his ultimate trust, right? Yeah. And they, you know, they were, when called upon in that series, were terrific. I mean, look at... Well, was, they played Kopitar a lot of right? the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Carrier played just five minutes in game three, and that's and yeah. Gallant didn't like that. That's yeah. uh, The other guys were 11 or 12, but a lot of it was PK. You know, that L.A. series, too, as advertised, we figured it was going to be a heck of a goaltending duel, and it was. I mean, look at Marc-Andre Fleury. Among all the goalies in the playoffs this year, the winningest goalie, two shutouts, three goals total in four games. It's interesting. Marc-Andre Fleury won the series, but in some ways Jonathan Quick might have been even better uh, to keep his team in it because if you looked at the shot charts after the series, uh, goal, high danger chances, Vegas uh, way ahead of L.A. L.A. really, they didn't mount much of a much of a charge in terms of offense against the Golden Knights. When called upon, Fleury was absolutely brilliant and quick. Uh, you know, his save percentage not as high, but they uh, Vegas had, had had way more chances. The series was not as close as the score said it was i think vegas could have you know they, they could have blown a couple of the games open a to a to a larger degree quick was very very good and in the san jose anaheim series martin jones faced more high danger chances in the first round than anybody else in the west yeah. he had he saw a lot of a lot of really good rubber he was very good it'll be interesting to see like to me my old trick when i was a reporter not working for a team was to phone coaches around the league and ask them, you know, I can't do that now. I can't talk to guys that work for teams. But guys have been fired recently. So I've been able to talk to I've been able to talk to a couple fired guys. Talk to the unemployed. <laughs> but guys that were just fired. I've been able to talk to them. They all have said the, the very same thing. This is a very, very evenly matched series. They like Vegas's depth a little bit better than San Jose. That being said, San Jose's their fourth line was very good and and produced offense against Anaheim. Anaheim not has not as bad as Minnesota in that Winnipeg Minnesota series where Winnipeg really blew them out, but not strong competition against San Jose. It'd be interesting to see how those players. It, it, the series are going to be much. It's going to be much more evenly matched. So it's all. It may come simply come down to Flurry versus Jones in many ways. Yeah, you know, I looked at LA and Anaheim too, Law Man, of built to a certain extent about around how the way. It used to be played in the NHL, right? When, when L.A. won their Cups in 12 and 14, big, heavy, physical, they tried to play that way against the Golden Knights. You look at Vegas, they're not built that way. Um, San Jose is really not built that way either, right? It's more speed, depth, attack on offense. Brent Burns is a huge difference maker for them on the back end. But, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to tip the series either way, Sheriff, but these are two pretty, from the goaltending out, two pretty evenly matched teams in this coming up in round two. Well, and I hate to do this, but Gary made a couple of really good points. Um, <laughs> Dan Mark. Well, no, he, he, yeah, he really. mentioned San Jose. I don't think was. They really, weren't mine. They were from another coach. Remember that? <laughs> no, no. San Jose wasn't really tested against no. the Ducks. Maybe the the underlying thing we're not talking about enough about Vegas is you're right. I think they outchanced at least in the first two games. It was two to one scoring chances, Vegas to LA. So maybe we're overlooking that. 
you, you talk about experience, about being resilient, about a team needs to overcome things in playoffs to really take that next step. They didn't rattle at all. No. They did not get faced. That's an easy time to say, oh, especially that double overtime game. Like, they deserve that game. Quick made 54 saves. They, but they didn't get phased. They stuck. They didn't come off the game plan, which is not an easy thing to do. A lot of teams get rattled. It's human nature that things aren't going away. You start, you start to change things up or try something different or you cheat here, you cheat there. They didn't. They stuck to the way they played, to the way they had success. To me, that speaks volumes for the character of the team the leadership they have in the room and what they've been able to build this year. Even that third game too, Shane, where they only had 17 shots through two periods. They didn't have a lot going yes. offensively. It, and they scored three goals and they ended up coming away and they go up three games to none. It's, it's hard to be objective when you're, right in, when you're right on top of the game. The shot charts are objective. They're completely objective. Yeah. And they, the, the ice in front of Fleury was pretty cool. It was pinkish. The ice in front of Quick it got very, very dark red, crimson if you will, and uh, uh, just, I, I just think Quick was unbelievable, and, and it, he came away with nothing, he came away completely empty-handed, but it's still a four-game sweep. That doesn't happen by accident. That's, a, that's one team superior over another team, and I think that's kind of, that's been overlooked a little bit because of how, because they were all one-goal games. Yeah, four one-goal games, but the Golden Knights sweep it in four. A couple of guys we should touch on, two fellas, that Guys that have, were huge parts of this team during the regular season that missed time late in the season, too. Riley Smith missed 15 yeah. games late. James Neal was bothered by some injuries late. Came back late in the regular season. Didn't, you know, seem to kind of struggle to find his game, to be honest with you. But you think about the move he made in game three on the boards wow. against Fantenberg, right? Scores the go-ahead goal. And um, I guess just your general impressions of you know, what they brought in that series against L.A. And that's exactly what James Neal is. He's that X factor. He, he go back to the beginning of the year. Uh, and he's a guy that if he goes a long run without a goal, the good thing is when he starts scoring, those guys feel it, and then they start to come in bunches. Riley Smith, to me, missed a lot of time. That goal they scored off the faceoff in the offensive end, to me, for that line was huge. For them just to get a little bit of that confidence back. And he got better as the series went on. He looks like he's back up. He just You need to get back to the pace of the game. And this goes back to practicing, especially when you're out there yourself. You can skate as much as you want to get in shape. That does not get you into game shape, into game situations where you can read and react. And he was certainly back to the Riley Smith we knew by game three and four. And of all ironies, they don't pay Braden McNabb to score goals, for the most part. Oh. It's all gravy when he does. But to have somebody, if you think about where he came into the season, contracts up, they sign him to a four-year extension, middle of the season, Lucas Spisa gets hurt, he ends up playing with Nate Schmidt on their top pair, and of all guys, the guy that spent the last three years law man playing in the L.A. Kings uniforms goes the only goal of game four to win the series. Well, it was it's the perfect expansion team story, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Guy gets exposed in the expansion draft, goes up against his old team and takes the dagger out of his own back and shoves it in their gut and pulls hard right. Oh, that's vicious. And, <laughs> that's very vicious. I'm Mark Moser. Oh. There's four stomachs. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and we remember way back at, at the in December, we... Heard Gerard Gallant say the pivotal moment of the season when he thought his team had really found it. Father's trip, Dallas and Nashville. Who scored the game-winning goal in Dallas? Braden McNabb. Yeah. His yeah. only two game-winning goals of the year. And by the way, his last playoff goal was in the WHL. <laughs> 
seven years ago. It's a long time ago. And it was a great shot, too. Yeah. It looked oh, yeah. like a natural goal scorer. Dropped down, one knee, one-timer. It was uh, yeah. good for him, but it's good to see those character guys. And just... That's what this team's been all about all season long. Well, well you couldn't have mapped it out any better, right? I'll LA in the first in round other, of the Yeah, I, and I'll throw in one other guy who made a return and made a big impact, and that's Will Carrier. Yeah. Uh, he has the hit uh, that leads to Nosek getting the puck that sets up Theodore for the only goal in game one. He's managed to use his speed to create some opportunities. He's not going to put up a ton of points. He only had three the whole season, but it's a lot of that extra stuff and how that just rounds out the fourth line. I think it goes a long way. And you can, you know, we can argue whether Drew Doughty should have got suspended or not for the hit on Carrier, right? But you've got to believe a lot of that was a byproduct of Carrier running him every time he had an opportunity Ten in the corner. The then game. he saw his chance, took it. Whether it deserved a suspension or not, that's, that's open for debate. But they didn't have their, you know, he's a finalist for the Norris. They didn't have him available for round two. They lose that game and end up losing the series. So. Yeah. Carrier uh, gets under your skin. Even no. at the end of the regular season, he had drawn three penalties, and that's what he does. He, he's just uh, – he can unravel an opponent, and when he's out there, it's probably one of the reasons why Gerard Gallant didn't like that he only got five minutes in that game three. Well, the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave podcast coming to you from the D Hotel right here outside among the people on Fremont Street, downtown Vegas, hashtag SLGND. The Golden Knights getting set for round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs against the San Jose Sharks coming up later on this week. And a reminder for you, Golden Knights fans, do not fight for parking when you head to a Golden Knights game. Take care of it in advance through the Park Mobile app and score the perfect spots at the preferred parking garages of the Vegas Golden Knights. Check it out at lasvegas.parkmobile.com. That's Las Vegas parkmobile.com to reserve your spot today. So we've already kind of touched on last series, this series. So the Golden Knights and the Sharks will get underway best of seven a little bit later on in the week, as will Nashville, Winnipeg, and what's going to be just a heck of a second round series. So the, the two teams that finished one, two in the West in points, <laughs> I know the Predator, uh, Predators won the President's Trophy, but top two in the West in points and they're going to meet in the second round of the playoffs coming up. Well, and that's still up for debate, the, the way the playoff schedules or format is set up. But for this, it, it is. And, you know, that's a, they're, going to, they're going to beat each other up. I see this series going a long ways, and it's really hard to pick who's going to come out on top. You're talking about two teams that are deep down the middle. They've got, I, I give the edge to Nashville uh, on the defensive side of things, and then you've got two goalies that are up for Vesna. So, uh Vegas, all they got to do is worry about San Jose, and then they hope these two teams absolutely come out of it, absolutely battled, banged up, and everything. Lawman, what are your, uh, when you think about that series, what comes to mind? Yeah, you know, I think for Nashville, they got so close last year. They are, uh, they're hungry, I think, to win the cup. And on the other side, those guys in Winnipeg, Blake Wheeler, Brian Little, you know, it's been a long time for them, and they haven't had, you know, the, the franchise has, has never won a series until until now. Shane was in uh, was in a playoff series with them when they were in Atlanta, and uh, you know then they got back in in 2015 and they got swept by uh, by Anaheim and now back they they knock off. They're they're out. They're out. <laughs> nice <laughs> try. Next All right. Yep. Um, Ducks fan out there uh, trying mm -hmm. to rewrite history, but getting uh, ready for next year. Just getting ready for next year. Anyways. Uh, just so much to the fan bases are rabid. I, Nashville has, has home ice in this series. I think that's a big factor. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Laviolette is 
Uh, he's going to match. He's going to he's going to use that home ice advantage to start the series. Winnipeg hasn't had its nose blooded yet. A little bit by Wild in uh, Game Three, I think it was. But uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Nashville won both on home ice to start the series, and then it moves back to Winnipeg, which is right now among the like you know they had thirty six thousand people on the street. Uh, on Friday night to to w- watching that game unfold Thursday night I guess it was so that series uh, just, there's a million storylines and uh, uh, how Winnipeg responds to adversity I think is going to be the big story there you know you talk about some of the best home ice advantages in the league and, and we we've seen Vegas play yeah. 43 home games now right regular season of playoffs you could, I would put Nashville and Winnipeg right up there you, you could might have three of the three best home ice advantages in the league right Winnipeg, Nashville, and Vegas, and you got two of them coming up in this in this next round. And you know, the lawman's point too, Sheriff. You've got a Nashville team that there's unfinished business there, and I think they feel if they had had some guys healthy last year, you know, the, they lost Ryan Johansson in the conference final. You can play that game. Ryan Ellis is playing on one leg, but you know they they get Fisher back coming out of retirement. They added Hartman to the deadline. They added. Um, uh, who else on the Bonino? Bonino, you know, Bonino in the offseason, back-to-back cups. You know, that's a team that, if you know, I don't want to say if they don't win this year, but they look like they're primed. If they're not going to win it, they're going to they're expected to make a long. Well, run. and I was talking about down the middle, and then he looked. So you got Johansson. You're going to have Johansson versus Shifley. You're going to have what's uh, the second line? Uh, you got who is it? Paul Stash. So yep. he's going to play either against Bonino or Turris. Uh, who else is Winnipeg guy? Uh, you know, the big difference, then you got Lowry against Fisher. Uh, Little. Little versus uh, Turris, say. Right. So the one thing I see in favor of Nashville is you've all the experience. Even Brian Little's been around a long time, but this is first time going this far in playoffs. Shifley's never been there. Lowry's never been there. Stashney a little bit. And the blue line, the, and the blue line, blue line, and blue line is, is a plus plus. I think when this comes down to the goaltender. Right Which goaltender outduels? This uh, could be uh, all about absolutely. Randy versus Hellebuck. And again, you're looking at a guy that's been around versus a guy that's had a breakout season. And so you it, can, you know, you can make the argument too. And look, it's the way it is right now. This happened in the East last year. Pittsburgh and Washington met in the second round. They have the two top records in the league, and one of those teams, and it turned out to be Washington again, was out in the second round. And you're going to have the two best teams in the West meeting in the second round this year. One of them is going to be done and going to be pretty bitter that their season is going to yeah. be over, potentially by the first week of May. And I think that that is absolutely right. It, you know, the, the teams that uh, necessarily might be one and eight aren't matching up like the way they used to. I am totally okay with it. Me oh, too, because yeah, Boston's probably going to play Tampa. If Boston wins, they're going to play Tampa. And if Washington wins, they're going to play Pittsburgh. There's there, yep. the, on the east side, those those are all really good series. It, it makes really the matchups. earlier rounds more compelling. And with apologies to our friends who play the other winter sport in North America, nobody cares so much about the earlier rounds of the playoffs compared to say the NBA finals. Yeah. I think the earlier rounds, when you have these kinds of compelling matchups, it might not be fair. You might not get the best team in the conference finals or in the Stanley Cup finals. But I think that adds to the intrigue, and it also creates more of those divisional rivalries that adds to regular season battles the following year. And it goes to show, winning the division really does carry more than meets the eye. And it's funny, you know, just to go off on a little bit of a tangent, Pittsburgh and Philly, they beat the heck out of each other for six games. 
you know, and it, it, you don't hear a lot of talk about the, in terms of the Penguins, like can they three-peat? And they're down 4-2 in game six in Philadelphia. And the next thing you know, they win 8-5 or whatever. Like, talk about, you know, a deal with Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Yeah. you got to be the team to beat the yeah. team. And until somebody knocks them off, they've been unbelievable again in that first round. You know, who they, we'll see where it goes from here. It'd be Washington or Columbus, but... Yeah, and, again, and, in crunch time, they're right there. And and let's put it this way: even though you have some of these earlier round matchups that could very well be the finals, the result is the conference finals end up being stories of two teams that either deserve to be there or wow, look at the run they had to get there, and that makes that matchup all the more compelling. And whoever turns out to be in the East, there's probably a little bit more intrigue there because. Tampa Bay was supposed to be the team out of the East. Boston has been terrific, but now look at what's going on with Toronto. Yeah. So there are lots of stories there, and I think that the way the playoffs are now, even though that some people will say it's unfair, I think it's great. The Ottawa Senators were in the Eastern Conference final. Last year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that puts it all in perspective, doesn't go. it? Yep. Well, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, hashtag SLGND, where we are coming to you from the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights, right, right here on Fremont Street as the Golden Knights get ready for round number two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. A reminder for you, friends, that Rock Creek Cattle Company is a hidden gem located in the heart of Montana. This working cattle ranch sits on 28,000 acres of land and has a little something for everyone, including world-class golf, fly fishing, hunting, horseback riding, and lots more. Escape the bright lights and discover Big Sky Montana. Exclusive memberships and real estate opportunities are available now. Check it out at Rock Creek Cattle Company. Com. So the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast continues. Are you ready for the quiz here, Dan Duva? What, what do you got shaking this, this time around? Well, I just asked the questions. The, the true question is, are you guys ready for the quiz? Yeah. yeah they, well, you no. are? We'll find out. Gary, are you ready? going to find out in the Fired next five up. minutes. All right. Well, All here right. we go. We've already discussed what a first-round victory would mean for the Golden Knights. <laughs> now let's try to take it another step after the Knights sweep round one. Gary, we'll start with you. What would a second-round win do for the Golden Knights as an organization? Well, it all comes down to the fan base now, and I think that we're seeing it's getting rabid here, and everywhere you go. I'll relay a little story. I was at a function last Friday night, and uh, you know that there was a party, and by 8:30, all the people had moved into uh, the TV room. And we're watching Colorado and uh, Nashville. Vegas wasn't even on the screen. And I, you know, I would just, I kind of said to someone, how much hockey have you watched in your life? Well, none until six months ago, but now I can't get enough. It's, the the longer this goes, the better it goes for in terms of embedding and entrenching this franchise in this market. Absolutely, I think, and that's the big thing is just, you know, building hockey here and it's all been my whole life, so it's great to see. And for these fans, it's, listen, the story's already incredible as it is. Right now, though, story's put on hold for me because there's still lots more to write. I think this team is proving more than anything for this organization. is They're for real. This is a team, and they've done it as the same unit. Like, the group of guys that have accomplished what they have this year, they've kept together. So that's something that I really special to me. You don't see that a lot now throughout you can look at other teams, there's been additions, and yes, they made a couple moves, but still, it's been the majority of the guys from day one that believed in one another, and I think this, it continued, to me, this organization is already, 
you know, jumped leaps and bounds in what they've been able to accomplish. Every round is just, you know, a little bit more, well, a lot more. Can you imagine if they ended up in the Western Conference? Final four. Final four. It's already the their NA. final eight. Like, right. It's already off. The, the whole thing's been off the charts all year. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't know about you, Dan, but, there, you know, there's times during the season where you kind of think maybe inwardly, well, I don't know how much longer this is going to last. You know what I mean? Like, it's, are they going to be able to, you know, but then you get through Christmas. Wait, let's back it up. You get through Thanksgiving. Then it's Christmas. Then you're into the new year. Then you're kind of at the all-star break. And then you're at um, trade deadline. Trade deadline. And they're still among the best teams in the West and the best teams in the league. So, you know, a long time, you know, even though you had maybe those inner doubts, they just continue to, you know, I think this is a team that feeds off that. Yeah. They were in the underdogs going in against LA. Yeah, nobody picked them. Oh, if they did, I didn't hear many people, if anybody, right, that picked them. Nobody, there's nobody on earth that picked them in a sweep. No. Nobody, not no. a chance. So I just think for them, you know, I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago here, it's all gravy, but now, like, it's okay to get greedy, right? I mean, you don't, you know, Shane was, we've all been around this a long time, but every once in a while you're involved with a special team, right, that you can see. They, they're going to be able to make a deep run, or they have the, the capability of making a deep run. And for this team this year, like, it's just the storybook just continues. You know, they win the division. They sell out every game. They sweep their – it couldn't have matched up any better the first round, right, in terms of opponent trying to build rivalries in the playoffs. They sweep them. Now they've got another divisional, I guess, rival. They keep it within the Pacific for the next round. So um, – I, I want, you know, I'll say again, it's all gravy, but now it's, now it's time to get greedy. Like why, you know, they should have a ton of confidence that they can, they can be one of the final four teams in the league. Yeah, whenever the players or coaches were asked, uh, are, are you a favorite in this series? No. Are you an underdog in this series? No. no. They, 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 don't, they don't look at it that way. And I think that that goes right in line with what you're talking about, David. You all have very good points, and none of you win. You all, or, or you all win either way. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'll, I'll just you know finish the thought by saying, when you consider where they have come from, and you look at at what is still ahead, especially in the first season, the value for the history of the franchise, and secondly, Nashville, Pittsburgh, recent teams that have gone a long way, and that what that brings to a, a unit of players the experience factor and you're looking at penguins even though maybe you thought boston tampa some other team pittsburgh's still the defending champs because they've been there the last two times nashville's the defending conference champs and so you have to look at those teams with the postseason experience therefore the further the knights go the more cachet they build up for next season and beyond and, and a lot of these young players that you'd anticipate to be around for years to come and just you know the other part would be too dan look they they're set up for success down the road, too. We've kind of talked yeah. about salary cap space. They've drafted well. They, and in theory, this is something they're going to be able to build for the long term, and that's, that's fine. But this opportunity right now is something that, who knows next year? You know, it, it could be some, some guys stay, some guys go. It could be a little bit of a different feel, a different mix. This, right now, at this present time, this is something that, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be around something pretty special, and if they can continue this, it would just add even another chapter to the story. You know, we said at the end of the game four, Shane, on TV, they didn't have a team a year ago. They did not have a team. No they players. a franchise. They didn't have any players. None. And they went from that to now they're moving on to round two of the playoffs. And some of those players recognized in different areas, uh, some not and around the league. Uh, Gary, here's question number two, and we'll bring it back to you. 
on those award ballots, the finalists for the different awards. This is your word. Who got jobbed? <laughs> Roman Yossi, right off the bat. P.K. Subban is a Norris finalist. He's not even the best defenseman on Stole his own my team. Line. <laughs> I agree. Roman Yossi. Just, uh, like he had a fantastic year. He's the best D in Nashville and the best decor in the NHL. The analytics numbers are off the charts. All of that. He's the best. Uh, yeah, PK is probably fourth behind Ryan Ellis, Ekholm, and Yossi. No, but he's a good player, but he's not a Norris. No. For me, I throw John Carlson in there. Tremendous season he had out in Washington. I think this is a guy that plays at both ends of the ice. Dominant, big minutes. Uh, yeah, it's the same category, though. Norris, I just, uh, Hedman, Dowdy, I don't have a problem with. Uh, I just don't think P.K. Subban, a Norris finalist. Well, and I'll throw in Brent Burns. How is he not? Like, I know you can only name three guys. Yeah. How yeah. in the world is he not one of the three guys? And I know he got off to a slow start. I, I get all that. But, you know, we saw him enough, Shane, in the head-to-head games against Vegas where there was a game in San Jose that um, you did on the NBC yeah. side. He was, un- he was dominant. He can turn, he dominates the game. Yes, and he's got that ability to at both ends of the ice now. So that's the guy to me if I, I don't know. And how it's picked, uh, you know, it's not easy, I'm sure. But he's the reigning Norris Trophy winner. And the fact he's not on a final three this year to me is, is beyond belief. Dave, you win. OK, thanks. I appreciate that. Yep. Gary was Here's really close Dave. and yep. Shane just echoed Gary. So uh, it was very close. Yeah, thank you. But uh, yep. I'll, I'll throw in one more thought. And, and just what do you think of the three? finalist for the Selkie and uh, with Bergeron, Couturier and Kopitar as the Selkie finalists could there have been someone else among the final three? It's pretty solid three though. It's, yeah. yeah, possibly. It's a guy that plays for Vegas that could have been in that mix. Yeah, well, Just uh, number 71. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the things I don't like is when you hear people say, wow, he's done it for a long time. It's not a reputation pick. It's not your no. body of work over your career. It's that season. And I don't care that William Carlson didn't do it last year. He did it this year. And if he never does it again, that's fine too. You're voting on the season that unfolded this year. And, and so in that respect, Dan, no disrespect to Patrice Bergeron. He missed a lot of time this year. I would have gone with Carlson instead of Bergeron. I would have been fine with that. And I, you yeah. know what I think of Patrice, how high I hold yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. And William Carlson did play in all 82 games this yeah. year. One of uh, just two guys on the Knights, including Colin Miller. And over the last two years, I know this is a different conversation, but he, he's only missed two games in the last three years. Uh, by the way, he is a finalist, of course, for the Lady Bing, which is, right. of course, well-deserved. Okay, let's get on to the last question on the quiz. And, uh, Dave, you, uh, you won there question number two, so you get to get the first shot at question number three. Uh, how would you handle the hiring process with the Dallas Stars and the Carolina Hurricanes? Who would you hire? Well, you know, we and I, can I can I add a team here? Like about the New York Rangers, right? I mean, just to kind of throw another vacancy out there. And it sounds you know, like they're going to hire David Quinn, and they're yeah. just waiting for the, you know, the right time for that to happen. That's why I left that one out. Yeah, you know, and if you're like, who are the best young? You know, is that where it's going? The best young coaches, right? That's what I think. I mean, whether it's David Quinn or uh, Jim Montgomery at Denver, I don't have a good thumb on who's in the American uh, League that maybe deserves a chance. Dallas deserves a young coach. They've they've done the Lindy Ruff. They've done the Ken Hitchcock. I think Todd Nelson's the guy that would go in there. Edmonton, he went in with a young group there. They loved what he did. He's a a new age thinking coach. He knows how to work a room. 
and uh, he's got a real similar to Gerard Gallant style coaching where he lets the players play. You'll hear about it. That's it. It's done. He wants them to have fun to go out. I think that type of group in Dallas. Dallas needs to get a few more D, but that, that's where I see him fitting in. This is why I phrased it the way I did, and I probably should have explained this. I think they're very different situations, mm. and I don't think you can put a young coach in Carolina where the owner wants to be the GM and he oh. wants to be the coach as well. I think you need a real strong personality in there that I think if you put a young guy in there, he may get ruined. You know, and we've seen this. You know, Mike Sullivan comes up with the Bruins. It doesn't work out. We had to wait a long time before he got another chance. Vigneault. Scott Arneal came up. Vigneault. Scott Arneal came up with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Still waiting. He's a quality coach. And you can really damage a guy in one of those situations. Damage his reputation. I don't want that for a young guy. So, to me... A little, a more experienced guy is the right answer for Carolina. Problem is, they're not going to pay, so they're not going to get an experienced guy because they're not going to, you know, the the Elaine Vignos of the world, you know, they want, they're going to command three, four, five million dollars a year. This guy wants to pay his GM four hundred thousand dollars. So, what's he going to pay the head coach, right? Yeah. That, that's a scary situation in Dallas. I'm with uh, Shane one hundred percent. Scott Sandlin at uh, Minnesota Duluth, Jim Montgomery at Denver. Pascal Vincent just had a great year with the Manitoba Moose, one coach of the year in the American League. There are good young guys I think that could go in. they got a great support structure. Jim Nill, Les Jackson, Scott White, really strong personalities in management. Their ownership is stable. He's not going to be walking into the dressing room in between periods, screaming and yelling and causing a bad situation. So I think you can put a young guy in there and he could flourish. So if Carolina doesn't want to pay... And you've got, you know, you mentioned. <laughs> I Elaine, might be the coach. You mentioned, you know, we get uh, law, the 400 grams lawman money. So you'd be all set. You go right down there. Um, Elaine Vigneault, um, Lindy Ruff. Right, who, who, who goes in there, right? Oh, who wants to? Right. As a veteran coach, who wants to go into that situation? That's why I don't know where they. Well, I talked to a guy today. You know, like, who you know, is unemployed, and he, and he was like, you know, they still owe me a couple of years in this place so I could go there and do it salary-wise, I could make it work. But then he said, nah, it's too, it's just too unstable, it scares me. Yeah. So it's gonna be, they couldn't hire a GM. You know, they went around, the, they, they yeah. took, the, took the top candidates in the league, and there are only 31 of those jobs right now, and none of those top-end guys was willing to go there. So it, it's gonna be very, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they Rod Brindamore. Rod Brindamore or Tom Vellucci yeah. in Charlotte if they, uh, if they, if they. From within. From within. Yeah. Did I get that right? Did I say Vellucci right? Mike Vellucci. Mike Vellucci. Yeah. I got Tom Verducci and Mike <laughs> Vellucci confused. Two yeah. different people. Charlotte, but I corrected yeah. it on the spot, so yeah. it is not telling us an error <laughs> very good. later in the show. That's very good. And, and just to think about American League head coaches that you mentioned Nelson won the championship with Grand Rapids last year. You know, Dallas Aikens with the Toronto Marlies a few years back. John Cooper with Norfolk. Like a lot of those guys who win a championship at the American League level uh, end up getting that promotion. I was just going to mention earlier that it is worth mentioning that Bill Peters, who had resigned from yeah. Carolina, just hired to replace Glenn Gullitson with the Calgary Flames. And... I wonder if he's making a couple more dollars in Calgary than he was, or that he oh, would yeah, he would have played that right. Carolina. He, he could have got paid. I think it was 1.6 on his final year. So, yeah, they're paying him yeah. at least two million. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if it was north of three. Yeah, that, that's you know Mike Babcock should have got into coaching. Getting that contract, 
has has really started to move the needle up for guys. And uh, Joel Quenville did it. Claude Julian, right? Yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. So. Even Vino is making uh, yeah. big change with the Rangers. Yeah. Well, that's the quiz, Dan. Uh, Gary won that one. That okay. was Gary had a wide-ranging approach to that answer. Do I get to mention one more name? Sure. Head coach of the Syracuse. Oh, here we, oh here we go. Oh, here Benoit we go. Grew. Okay. Never heard of him. No, yep. no Benny, Benny has just, he's earned his chance. Sure has. For sure. Very successful in the Quebec Major Junior League and also at the International Team Canada. Level. There yep. was some talk that if Tampa had a loss in the first round, that uh, John Cooper could have been in trouble and, I, and wouldn't have surprised me at all if... Much like uh, when Cooper came up from Syracuse, if Benoit Gruel had to come up from uh, from Syracuse for that job. And watch out for Ben's son, who was first pick in the Quebec Major Junior League last year. So Ben's son is going to be an NHL player in a few years. All right. Well, we got a Syracuse reference in there, Dan. It only took 40 minutes. They're up 2 nothing against the Rochester okay. Americans in know. the opening round of the Calder we Cup. We appreciate playoffs. that. Update. There's your quiz, Dave. Thank you so much. Well, it's time now for Razor Fold, and it is brought to you by the Foley Food and Wine Society. Bill and Carol Foley have created the Foley Food and Wine Society to celebrate three of their greatest passions, world-class wines, exceptional cuisine, and outstanding destinations. And as a member of their society, you'll have access to their entire portfolio of properties around the globe. The Foley Food and Wine Society offers an exclusive opportunity to join like-minded individuals who seek to experience the finer things in life. And they look forward to hosting you during your next visit. All right, guys, final segment here. Raise or fold, and Dan, you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but Sheriff, we'll start with you. Raise or fold, Bill Peters leaving Carolina to take over as the new head coach of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, and you can say, well, he didn't get it done in Carolina, but I think he has a lot more to work with in Calgary. I think he's a guy that's, I like Bill Peters. I like his coaching style. I think he, the one thing Carolina is a quick team. The one thing I like is the way they defend. A couple years ago, they had a really good strong penalty kill. He's he's really good at teaching uh, defensive sticks. Uh, his teams are able to knock down a lot of pucks. They play with pace. So uh, I was a fan of Glenn Gullitson, but he's gone. But uh, I raise on the Bill Peters. Well, man. Yeah, I'm going to raise for not for how not for managing down running the team but for managing up i think glenn gullitson is a really good coach i don't think he's the right personality to be able to handle the the triumvirate of owner murray murray edwards president ken king and vp brian burke i think that if glenn was left to just deal with brad true living things could have been fine there but when you've got those three big personalities who all have opinions and who all share them coming down on you I think it's a tough situation. I don't think Gullitson was the right guy. I think Bill Peters, will. he just showed that he was not going to put up with that. He walked away from $1.6 million this year and next year to, to not have that situation in Carolina. I think actions speak louder than words. And those guys, Edwards, King, and Burke, they may have their opinions, and they may pass them down to Bill Peters. He'll be quite comfortable letting them go in one ear and out the other and maybe smiling at them or maybe saying something that they don't want to hear. He's got that strong personality. He's the head coach. He's going to fill out the lineup. He's going to handle practice the way he wants to. He's going to handle all of the day-to-day hockey coaching decisions the way he wants to, and he won't blink in making that thing happen. I'm with you. I raise on it. and. It's also worth looking at the recent history and that the Hurricanes have missed the playoffs in the four years he was the head coach there. But to me, the head coach, the perception often is, oh, that he's to blame. To me, and I think what you're seeing even more so in, in Carolina now as we've been outlining, 
head coach only takes a chunk of the blame there. And, and he's had success with Hockey Canada. Oh, yeah. And, and, and with... Uh, good players make good coaches. Uh, Rockford, right, in the American League. Spokane in the WH. I mean, he's had a lot of successful, and he was an assistant with Detroit before he ended up in Carolina. So, to me, uh, I, I, I raise on it, and uh, I... I see success for him at some point there's there's a reason why somebody likes like that gets continuously gets cracks and moves up the ladder yeah i would raise on it too and i would say carolina's not a very good team like they have not made the playoffs in nine years and if i'm not mistaken this is the longest current drought in the league yeah they have not made the playoffs since 2009 so um you know you can make an argument could he have gotten more out of that team i don't know there's not they're not that deep a team they've got you know there's they're not that complete of a team I would say this, I, ri- I raise on it, but they're going to have to find a way in Calgary to get more offense that does not flow through Monaghan and Gaudreau, right? You know, Kachuk got hurt late in the year. That was a huge loss for them. But they're going to need more out of whether that's from within or without. They're going to need more. You know, Mike Smith got hurt late in the year, and you can't do anything about that, but that's, that was a huge dent in that team. Um, but they're going to have to find a way to generate some more offense and not have it go through those two guys. I mean, they're, they're upper echelon guys. But What about Jankowski? He was on fire yeah, last Jankowski, game Yeah, Jankowski <laughs> did fine in the last uh, contest of the season against the Golden Knights with four big ones. That was a good time. I, just, I think those big personalities undermine Glenn Gulletson, and it's yeah. really have to, tough to lead if the players look at you and aren't sure they're their leader. They're, no one is going to look at Bill, Bill Peters and be confused about who's running the ship. And that's why coaches' salaries are up. They make more than some of the players. The players know right. the coaches around. Yeah, and that's and that's not how it used to be for a long, long time. It's all changed in the last bunch of years, obviously. All right, right next up on Razor Fold, Lawman, we'll go right back to you. Razor Fold on Drew Doughty. We raise on him as a player, but I'll tell you what, he had some he had some pretty difficult moments this year. He makes the comment about L.A. going to be better than Vegas at the end of the year. His team got swept. He puts that hit on on Will Carrier, and he complains about the suspension. He, uh, you know, talked about William Carlson's line and said they've got nothing against us this year. And then they went out and put up a pretty pretty important goal against them. Uh, I, I think that Drew Doughty, maybe he thinks it's important for him to talk as much as he does, but uh, I'd like to watch him play and and not listen to him as much. So. I'm I'm raising on Drew Doughty. It's impossible not to, but uh, there's there's some works there that I think he could sand off. Sounds like a grudging raise, grudgingly raising. Well, here's yeah. the thing: Gary is raising on that. It seems to me, from the standpoint of say, a manager or a coach, but as a journalist, you've got to love the material. That's, that's, that's why I'm surprised. <laughs> Are you oh. going to pay him? You're going to give him a hundred million? But but that's why I'm saying you're looking that's at it coming from a management up, right? standpoint. A hundred million dollars he's going to want. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I, I get it. I'm with you. I, I'm with you. But as as someone who covers hockey, the story that he provides, the layers, the narrative, it's very compelling. So the storyteller in me raises on Drew Doughty for all of those reasons. I tend to think that if if you are on the king side of things, whether you're a fan. And I don't know what his teammates think of him and, and the words that he uses and how he speaks to the media. Are there some guys in that room that love it? Maybe some other guys who don't? I don't know. Uh, but it, it seems to me, when you could try to put yourself in, in the other team's shoes, you probably are really happy that Drew Doughty is on your side most of the time. Now, it did work out for the Kings in this series, and they have just one playoff uh, win 
victory, single game win since they won the cup in 2014. So perhaps the act is drying out. But I don't know him personally. So based on the storyteller and me, I'm raising. I'm raising. I mean, his ability speaks for himself. Uh, hey, I'm old school. I'm not, you know, you're gonna, if you're going to talk, you better back it up. And for the most part, he has. Yes, he's been off this year in his comments, but he's got personality. He's got two Olympic golds. And he's got two Stanley Cups. So I think part of what drives him is his ability to push the line, to, to play the way he does, to have that type of attitude. And for the most part, he's backed it up pretty damn good. He's also got a Norris. So, and he's nominated again. I would raise two nights because I think nobody says anything anymore really nobody really says anything that's my point thank nobody you nobody really says anything now you know we were around the some of the kinks people for you know 10 days or whatever it was somebody said to me kopitar brown carter and quick forget it they, not gonna say anything interesting or talk at all <laughs> Downey makes up all. for all of them right so those are the you know you want to talk about and, and throw dowdy into that mix just in terms of their marquee guys right they're almost never available to the media. And if they do talk, it's, you, you're almost better off not having them talk. Yeah, it's, so it's, I, I just, the fact that Dowdy's got something to say, you can, I, you can certainly quibble with how he says it and when he says it, and maybe he should have a little more polish on it. But I don't think that's him either. He's not going to. So, yeah, I just, nobody says anything. So he does. So I'll raise. Uh, I would take him on my team. Yeah, I'll raise on him. All right, last one. Raise or fold. And this is funny. We've seen this in the playoffs um, quite a bit. Coaches lobbying referees and the Department of Player Safety doing it through the media in the postseason. <laughs> Dan, we'll start with you. <laughs> All why right. not? Sure. Why not is a good reason. I will fold on them doing it through the media. Now, back channels, I'd expect a coach or a general manager to make nasty phone calls to the league office and send scathing emails to the appropriate people. But once you start to play it out in public, the folks who are charged with making those decisions, it's human nature to be rubbed the wrong way. And nobody likes to have his or her judgment called out in public for everybody to see and criticize. I'd much rather have someone criticize me to my face or directly to me than just generally out in the media where it can be taken a certain way. So I, I think uh, in that case, I am folding on lobbying the media when it comes to the uh, the officiating or the Department of Player Safety. What do you got there, uh, Lawman? Absolutely folding. I think you look like a whiner. And, uh, and, and really, <laughs> if I'm George Peros and I and a coach or a player calls out one of my decisions, I, I'm, How do you I'm, think that next conversation was? Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, really? You didn't like my decision? Clearly, you don't understand what I'm trying to do. So the next time you do this, you won't have learned from our from our phone call, so I'm going to slap you harder. Yeah. Uh, uh, and really, that's a GM's job, to pick up the phone and say, hey, this is why we think that da, da, da. you're not going to read about it in the paper. I'm not going to embarrass Like, Why would you ever embarrass? Can you imagine going to court no. and trying to embarrass the judge? In not going to work. Beforehand? Yeah. Not good. Not a successful strategy. No. But I will add this in. I would like the Department of Player Safety in the NHL to more consistently articulate some of their rationale. In other words, sometimes we see a decision, we hear about, okay, this is what has been decided. 
and I'm not sure that we have a better understanding of the rule or why it was implemented the way that it was. And that, that, is, a, that is just a general request. It's not, a, it's not something that really pertains to this question, but it's something that often comes to mind because Gerard Gallant said it today. He's watching other games in the NHL, not to prepare for a potential series, but to see how the refs are calling it. Yeah. He said that at the press conference earlier today. And we remember in the preseason how the slashing was being called very, very tight. You got to know how the officials are calling certain things. And if it's goaltender interference, we saw the Kings guilty of it twice against the Golden Knights in games one and games two. You got to know that other coaches are watching and you assume that the NHL has said to the referees, hey, watch for this. Call it if it's there. I think that that's just as important when it comes to the coaches watching and understanding what the officiating and the Department of Player Safety are looking at. Nice. Oh, I fall, but you'll never understand the officiating. You can watch as much as you can as watch as much as you want. It is too fast of a game, and they have near impossible job. They do the best they can. There's human error involved. So, and I agree. It sounds like whining afterwards, and and it's exactly you're gonna get one coach that's lobbying one way, and you go to Minnesota. Bruce Boudreau thought Morrissey that non-call lost the game for him, and he should have been suspended for ever, and then Paul Maurice didn't think it was suspension worth it. So they don't even get along in, in the same place. <laughs> so how are you ever going to? So yeah. the best thing is to be quiet, move on, accept what happened in the game. I fold on it, too. Look, I don't think anyone wants to hear it. I will tell you, it, there was time, I remember this vividly, back when the, the Bruins and Penguins were battling it out like in the early 90s, Mike Milbury was coaching the Bruins. And Ulf Samuelson was running at Cam Neely. We've all seen that hit of Samuelson taking out Neely's knee, or thigh and knee. And Bob Johnson, God rest him, was coaching the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Mike Milbury lost his mind after a game and called Bob Johnson, you know, because everyone called Bob Johnson like the professor, right? He called him the professor of goonism. Like he lost his mind in the media. So I fold on it, but I think it used to be way worse you know, at times, but now it's different because social media, it's out there, you see it a hundred times. I always struggle with this. Players make mistakes on the ice. Coaches make mistakes during a game. Referees are calling the game at the exact same speed. Why are we surprised when they make mistakes? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'll tell you what I liked about it. I think we mentioned it nights on TV, game four of the, of the Golden Knights King series. Each team had one power play. Let the players work it out. You know what I mean? Stay. That's what I'd like more than anything, but I know it's not. It's, well, but then, it's an then you go to science. another series and you I get know. five penalties aside. That's so the problem. That's that. Yeah. It's, it's and I would think from judge. a player's standpoint, you tell me, you'd rather have it in your hands, right? Oh, yeah. For the most part. I'd Let, rather hack and whack away yeah. and not have to go to the penalty box. check away on the way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the skill players feel the same way, too. Yes. <laughs> they they want to be hacked and whacked. That's right. <laughs> well, that's Razor Fold for uh, this week. Are you going to tally it up now, Dan? So we're right now to the final segment of... Uh, I feel like a victory is coming my who's way. Who's the first star? Lawman's confident about his chances. Yeah, I, I, I passed well. well, you've, you've, been, well. you've had all day to I work on these questions. Well. We had five minutes. Baloney. Yeah. Uh, it, it's true, and also because Gary did not get to make his cake or eat it, so Gary gets oh, to win true. today's right. podcast. And that's really, right. I thought the, the, the breakdown on the coaching, I think Gary won it there. That's where he really had his, his filling. Just thought about it all day. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Fact just check time. Rigged. rigged. Uh, got? Just uh, to confirm Dave's memory, which is almost always reliable, but I'll add to the, uh, the droughts that is now nine seasons for Carolina. 
Remember that they have made the playoffs just once since winning it all in 2006. So they have missed the playoffs in 11 of the last 12 years. Prior to this current streak, Edmonton had missed it 10 straight years. Yeah. They made it last year. They missed it 12 out of 14 seasons. Wow. And, of course, Edmonton is uh, out of the playoffs this year, so that would make it uh, uh, 13 out of 15. Back to the point of special opportunity with this team this season doesn't come along every year, to say the least. So, Well, that's the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave Pike. So I guess, Lawman, you were the winner. You were the champion. Yeah, congratulations. Congrats. What do you mean you guess? You just said it. Okay, Dan, uh, did you say he was the champion? It's true. Okay. I wrote it now. I wasn't listening. Uh, well, we uh, thank you for joining us, Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave Podcast, hashtag SLGND. Coming to you from the D Hotel in Fremont Street, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Go to iTunes, subscribe. We'll have uh, some TV coverage, at least on the Facebook, that's what I'm told, um, with some pre- and post-game coverage. And Dan will have the whole thing on radio, 98.9 FM, Stanley Cup playoffs. Golden Knights and Sharks coming up in round two. We'll talk to you next time.